Good morning. There's more here now than I saw before, so welcome. You know, this uh, Christmas season, our theme song is The Glorious Impossible. And uh, today, we're talking about praise the wisdom of the Father as part of the glorious impossible. And we're going to get more into that. Last week, we started into it. This week, we're going to get more into the glorious impossible, where Jesus is the glorious impossible that God gave to us. Let's pray right now before we look into God's word. Father, we thank you for the songs that we have to sing to you. We thank you for the talent you've given people to write the songs and people to sing the songs. We thank you, Lord, that you are worthy of worship. We pray that you would help our hearts to just tune in to worship you and to really understand how worshipful you are and how worthy of worship that you are. And so, Father, we pray now as we look into your word that you would help us Help us to grow in the knowledge of you, in closeness with you, and in love for one another. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so we said the glorious impossible. But we're talking about impossible by human standards, aren't we? How many people you think in the first century or even earlier do you think had figured out how God was going to send his Messiah, the Savior? How many people do you think had it all down and had it all right and knew what steps that God was going to take? You know, the Jewish religious leaders in Jesus' day, they were totally clueless, weren't they? And they were the Bible experts. But then you might say, well... They had hardened hearts. They were blinded by their corruption, their evil intentions, their selfishness, their self-centeredness, their wanting to uh, exalt themselves. So you can kind of discount them. But then, you know, even Zechariah, the faithful, godly priest, was slow to believe, wasn't he? As the angel came to him when he was lighting the incense. And he was a godly, faithful priest. And even the Old Testament prophets who said, the Bible says, search the scriptures carefully, they couldn't quite put all the pieces together. I mean, they believed what they were reading, but it just didn't give them the full picture. And then Jesus' earthly father, you know, one of the most faithful people that we read about, very faithful believer in God, but he didn't believe at first, did he? He didn't believe that the baby inside Mary's womb was the Christ child. But when the angel appeared to him, uh, he did come to belief then. He did accept it. And then we know that Jesus' earthly brothers did not believe in him until after his death. We know of two of them that believed in him, in him after his death. <clears throat> we don't really hear about the others, the other brothers. But this is the way God often works, isn't it? 
Because God gives us prophecies, and they're all true. And we've seen so many of them come true over the centuries. Yet they often come true in ways that we have not been able to predict. And when we look back at the prophecies, we can see that the prophecies were true, and they, they came true, but not in the way that we imagined. You know, you think of Zechariah and Elizabeth. They knew that God was going to send a forerunner, it was in the scriptures, to proclaim the coming of the Lord, the coming of the Messiah. They knew that from the scriptures. But when the angel told Zechariah how it was going to happen, he didn't believe him. You see, this is what I see as a part of the glorious impossible. There's impossible things that God is going to do, and it's glorious. And Jesus is the glorious impossible. So our theme song says, and we're going to see it after the sermon, the first two uh, verses say, See the virgin is delivered in a cold and crowded stall. The mirror of the Father's glory lies beside her in the straw. He is mercy's incarnation. He is mercy fleshed out. Marvel at this miracle, for the virgin gently holds the glorious impossible. So, now what is God's plan to reveal to people his son and savior? How did God work that out to prove to people that this was the Savior that has been promised, the Messiah. Well, we're just going to look at a few instances. Early in Jesus' public ministry, Jesus and his disciples were invited to a wedding, and most of you know this story. And then during the celebration, the wine had run out. Jesus' mother mentions to him that they're out of wine. And Jesus responds by saying... <clears throat> What's this got to do between you and me? And what he was saying was, well, then he said, this isn't my hour. So what Jesus was saying was, this isn't my time to reveal to everybody who I am. And so Mary says to the servants, okay, just do what he says. A lot of people think that Mary won that argument because she said, you know, he, he went and did it anyway. But really, his point was, it's not time for me to show myself to everyone. And so she submits to that and says, okay, you do it his way. And so Jesus goes into the back, and his disciples are with them, and he turns the water into wine. But he did not reveal himself to the crowds of who he was, that he was the Messiah. But in the presence of his disciples, he changes the water to wine. But here's the important part of the story. Well, that was important, but this is also important. There were six stone water jars, it says in the passage. Each one holds 20 to 30 gallons of water. The water jars were used for Jewish ritual cleansing, purification. The Jews had purification rites that they went through 
you know, when they went to worship the Lord. But Jesus takes these giant jars of water meant for cleansing and transforms that water into wine. And not just a little bit of wine, but a great abundance of wine. It could have been up to 180 gallons. So what we have symbolized in this miracle, as Jesus does for his apostles, is that Jesus is turning the water of Jewish ritual cleansing into the new wine of the coming kingdom. And it's, it's wine that just, there's an abundance of wine. It's not going to run out. It's going to be way more than people need. So he replaces the water of Jewish ritual to the abundant, best-tasting wine of the kingdom. Where there was no wine, Jesus' presence produces an abundance of wine, which, be pro which is promised in the coming kingdom, foreshadowing the coming kingdom. And then it says that Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. The glorious impossible. And then we go to the feeding of the 5,000. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus tries to take his disciples away from the crowds to get some rest. But the crowds then hurried to the place where he was going, and they got there before Jesus did. And it says Jesus had compassion on them. They were looking for a place to rest. He wanted his disciples to come along with him so they could talk things over and rest. But he saw them and they were so hurting as sheep without a shepherd that he went on to continue to teach them many things, it says. And then it grew late in the day and the disciples tell Jesus, we better send them home so they can get something to eat. They haven't eaten, you know, all day. And Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, you feed them. And of course the disciples say, how can we feed all these people? We haven't got enough to feed hardly any of them. So Jesus tells them to sit down in groups. And then the, 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 uh, the Bible says at that point, to sit down on the green grass in groups. And you can see the shepherd, you know, taking care of the sheep. Because the Bible says green grass. And you probably would just think he tells them to sit down in groups. But it's like a shepherd with the sheep. He's the good shepherd. And he feeds the 5,000 to their satisfaction. So there's the abundance of wine and there's the plenty of food to feed the people. With 12 baskets left over. The glorious impossible. But then that story doesn't end there in the passage, in the scripture passage. He sends the disciples in a boat on ahead to Bethsaida, you know, across the lake, across the, the sea. And he went up on a mountain to pray. And the disciples have encountered a strong winds and they couldn't make it over to the other side. And they were struggling to navigate the water. And in fact, as the night grew longer, they had not been able even to reach their destination. And it says after Jesus was finished praying, he looked out and he saw the disciples fighting against the water. 
And he goes out and he walks on the water. As they're struggling, he just walks right to them. And it terrifies them. And then Jesus says, Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. And so he shows that he can feed people, he can produce the wine, and he can, you know, do things that they cannot do, and he can take care of them. And as he entered the boat, the wind just stopped. Now I want you to listen to what Mark says, the gospel writer, when he, they reached the shorts in Mark chapter 6, and verses 54 through 56. It says, as soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. So you have Jesus, who had no material wealth, did not study under any famous rabbi as a disciple, never sought attention or recognition or power, and he would seek opportunities whenever he could to go be with his father, off by himself, to spend time communing with the father, gaining strength from the father. Yet he had people clamoring for him. People making great efforts to hear him speak. Skipping meals so they could just listen to him. Certainly the glorious impossible. Now, you know, when you think of successful or well-known preachers or religious leaders, it seems the more they reach very important people in our society, the more impressive they become to others. If they reach certain people that just are so well-known and, and popular and they start coming to their church, then that just lifts up their, their um, you know, what people think of them. So I saw a short video clip recently of a very famous, mega, mega famous pastor and he took time in the service to announce to the whole church, which was tens and tens of thousands of people, that they were so blessed that morning to have Oprah Winfrey in their audience. And the place went wild. Oprah Winfrey was there. <laughs> and it, it, just watching it was just kind of like, wow, that's kind of funny. The whole auditorium roared with delight. And you know, I've heard Oprah Winfrey, I, she had a, a good upbringing. Well, actually, you know, she had a bad upbringing, but then she, she had relatives who took her in and took her to church and she heard the gospel and she knew it. But today she preaches a gospel message of, you know, you find your power within yourself. And you just do what you want yourself to do, what you want to guide yourself to do. It's all, it's all in you and your own power and your own effort. But what I see with Jesus 
is totally different. You know, when you see that some people look for recognition in knowing famous people, Jesus goes and heals the lepers. People who others would not even go near and people who couldn't even live in society. And Jesus would go and heal the paralyzed and the crippled, those with shriveled hands, the blind, even some who had died, he brought back to life. But this next story seems to say even more about Jesus as the glorious impossible. When Judas brought the mob of men and soldiers to arrest Jesus, Jesus, with full knowledge of what was going to happen, he knew what was happening, he went out to the mob and he asked them, who is it you're seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And one of the gospels tells, Jesus says, I am he and they all fall down. It was the power of God and Jesus that just knocked them over. So it showed you that he did not have to submit to them. He was more powerful than that whole band of men with with swords and clubs and everything. So as they're getting up off the ground, he asks them again, who is it you're seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, I told you, I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go, his his disciples. And the Bible says he's fulfilling the words he had spoken when he said he had not lost any that God had given him. He protected them all. Of course, they scattered, which wasn't good, but it fulfilled scripture. And then if you remember that same, you know, there's different accounts of this and different facts, different parts in these different accounts. But if you remember, Simon Peter took a sword, struck the high priest's servants, you know, on his head and cut off his right ear. And Jesus told him to put the sword away. And he said, shall I not drink the cup the father has given me? And then Jesus healed the servant's ear. The glorious impossible. And you know, Jesus doesn't at all look like the mighty, glorious Son of God who will come at the end of the age and defeat the armies of the world who gather there to try to stop him from taking over what they consider to be their earth. Mankind is going to get so... You know, on on a big scale, it's already here, but on a big scale, they're going to get so prideful that they imagine that they could come and meet Jesus as he's coming to the earth and stop him from taking over what they consider their kingdom, their earth. And it isn't going to go well for them. But you know, Jesus... Even though he is that powerful and he is, that is in his future, he doesn't do that when he's on the earth, does he? He doesn't lord it over people, even though just by saying, I am he, they all fell down. The soldiers fell on their cans. 
<laughs> so he doesn't at that time look like the glorious son of God who will defeat the armies of the world. And he doesn't lord it over the people. He doesn't jockey for position like the religious leaders did. He doesn't force himself on others. He doesn't demand to be respected or honored like world rulers do. But in his own way, he sure did accomplish his mission to become the savior of mankind. And he followed the Father's plan, which was through humility and servanthood, even though he had the power to just knock an army over. And in a way, no one would even recognize that he was the glorious impossible. Now, I want to show one more aspect of Jesus' earthly life that really surprised people who knew that he was the Son of God. And it's in Luke chapter 18, 15 through 17. Just this is another example of Jesus and the way he was and is. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. You know, children and those that couldn't contribute and, and that sort of thing, they were just kind of put aside as lesser than. And so Jesus, when, when the disciples saw this, they rebuked the mothers for bringing the children to Jesus. But Jesus called the children to him and said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And you know, that goes against so much of what we might think of someone in Jesus' position. Jesus doesn't have time to stop and hold babies and talk to children. He has more important things to do. But Jesus is saying, that's what the disciples think, right? That's, that's kind of the way we think. But Jesus is saying that these children have the attitude and the characteristics that will allow people to enter the kingdom of God. They're the ones who are approaching the kingdom of God with humility, with trust, with authenticity, with honesty. Let the little children come. And let them be models to you of what the kingdom of God is all about. So, so many times God's ways or God's plans look so unworkable according to our ways of thinking. And many in our world choose not to accept God's ways. Others say that they are accepting his ways but then they really end up reshaping or reframing his words to align with the way that they think and the way that they want it to be. And that's really <clears throat> the way we think automatically unless we're, our thoughts are shaped by the word and by the Holy Spirit. As we take what Jesus says and we change it into something that more fits the way we want to do it, and then we, we say that we're following him. So I believe that one of the most important keys 
to understanding the pathway to eternal life and understanding the way of God is humility. I believe we have to come to God's word with very humble hearts and attitudes and allow God to speak for himself. So many times people go to the word. I'll say we, I don't want to exclude myself, but we go to the word and we just kind of reimagine it to what the way we would like it to be. So I think that really the answer is we have to come to God's word with very humble hearts and attitudes and allow God to speak for himself. We may want to reshape his ways and words into our ways, but I think we must resist that kind of pride or stubbornness because Jesus is the glorious impossible. You know, almost nothing he did came out the way that we thought it would happen. The answer to Jesus and the following his ways is eternal life. But it's in ways that we would never have been able to come up with through our own intelligence, through our own workings and our own minds. So we really do have to put our trust in the scriptures. And we won't understand the fullness of them all the time. The more we go, the more we understand. The more we get close to Jesus and the Holy Spirit helps us to understand. But just like the prophets of old, even the godly people of old, there were things that they just could not put together. And they all came out to be true and they all will come out to be true because Jesus is the glorious impossible. The things that we can't answer and the things that he says, he will do the way he says them. We just don't have always all the facts. And the answer is eternal life. But the way, in ways we would never have come up with through our own intelligence. So let me end by reading the first three verses of Hebrews chapter 1. It speaks to the wisdom of the Father who has spoken through his Son. And speaking still, he calls us to the glorious impossible. It says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. That's who Jesus Christ is. He is the glorious impossible. And so we will now go to our theme song for this Christmas season, and you'll recognize the words and sing along as you can. And then we'll, we'll pray to end our service.